among the shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear at the sight. The angel cried, Fear not, I bring good news and great joy. For unto you born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. They said, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this newborn baby. So they went with haste and found him in a manger with his parents, Joseph and Mary. The shepherds proclaimed all they were told by the angel of the Lord. And Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. For she knew her baby was special, and she knew it from the start. A baby born in a manger, a savior prophesied before his birth. Let's join the shepherds and angels and cry, Glory to God and peace to his people on earth. Well, good morning. Have you guys not enjoyed story time with Pastor Mark throughout this series? Yeah? <clears throat> now, you know, the majority of that is scripture, but we can give it up for Mark because some of that is his creativity coming out as he pieces all of those stories together as we study the story of Christmas. In this series, A Very Vintage Christmas, that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at key figures in the story of Christmas, but what we've been doing also is looking at how those stories help us not only navigate and live in now, but also live for Advent, live for the return of of Jesus. When we see Jesus not coming as an infant, not as a humble servant, but as a reigning, conquering king. That is what we celebrate when we think about Advent. I want to encourage you. I know we're kind of midway through the Advent season, uh, but if you have not leaned into some sort of devotional, something to center your heart, your life, your thoughts on Jesus in this season, to consider visiting the link there on the screen. And you're going to find, yes, all of our series resources, but also a link to an Advent devotional that we have been utilizing. There's daily readings. There is uh, also habits, basic, simple habits that center you in on Jesus. Last night, my family gathered around the dinner table, and uh, we spent five... We spent five minutes trying to light a candle. You know, Gabe just had to light this candle, right, for uh, us to say Christ is light. But it was an awesome opportunity just to pause for a moment and to remind ourselves what we're doing in this season, why we celebrate what we celebrate. So lean into those habits, lean into those devotional readings as we approach Christmas. Pastor Brick just lit the candle for joy, and joy is one of those things, like maybe the others of hope and peace and even love that we're going to light next week, where you're searching for it, you know that you want it, as Pastor Brick challenged us to think about, there are those moments when you get a glimpse of joy, but I think in the Advent season, one of the challenges for us is how we pursue joy when we're waiting. How we pursue joy when there might be darkness around us. How we pursue joy when life just simply feels mundane. How do we do that? 
And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the story of the shepherds. Many of you are familiar with this story. I think the shepherds serve as an example for us all when we encounter the Lord. So if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. If you need a copy of God's Word, our Connect team has some for you. Just lift up your hand and they can get you that copy. The words will be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. Or as Charlie Brown said, they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Everybody say sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So what are these lessons from the example of the shepherds? I think there's four very simple yet profound truths, profound takeaways that we can gather from their lives. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first lesson is this, watch for the Lord. I want you to go back and look at verse 12. I had you guys say a word in verse 12. And this will be a what? It'll be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds were watching for Christmas. Now, they were unaware of what was about to happen to them. They were unaware of what they were about to experience But once the shepherds came upon them, they were watching for a sign. Now, what was the sign? The angels told them, the sign is, you'll go to Bethlehem, and when you go to Bethlehem, you'll see in a manger. Does everybody know what a manger is? It's not a stable, right? We think that, but it is a feeding trough where the animals would eat out. So the the shepherds went to Bethlehem and they found a feeding trough with a baby in it wrapped in swaddling cloths. That was the sign. But here's the thing that's important for us. What do signs do? Signs always point. They point to something. 
They demonstrate something. They show something. And here's what's interesting about this sign with the shepherds and ultimately almost every other sign that we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Signs are most often in the scriptures connected to a divine word. So the sign is pointing to something, but if it didn't have the divine word connected to it, chances are you would miss the sign. I mean, think about the shepherds. In Bethlehem, how many babies would there have been? Now, I know there might not have been that many babies lying in a manger, but they could have missed the sign if it had not been for the divine word connected to it. Listen to how one commentator describes this. He says, apart from the angelic announcement, this sign could easily be overlooked or mistaken for something other than it is. Without the divine word, who would imagine that in this humble person and place, Emmanuel, God, is with us? So the sign was pointing to something. And there are signs and divine words attached to signs that remind us to watch for Advent. To watch for Jesus. I think watching, in a sense, often requires anticipation. Anybody have any like Advent calendars that they have at their house that are hanging up? And if you have kids... You might be uh, anticipating them every day, wanting to open each one. I mean, even now, you can buy like Lego calendars, and there's like a little Lego inside. There's an anticipation with Advent calendars. Now, the point of the Advent calendar, right, is for us to anticipate who? Jesus, right? But even for little kids, there's an anticipation of wanting to open the door or open the next day to see what's behind there. Anticipation tells us that we're expecting something. And I think what we do when we watch for Advent is we must expect a sign. Now, the scriptures describe for us what this sign looks like. Again, remember, The shepherds experienced a sign plus a divine word. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians to help explain for us what this sign is. For the Lord himself will descend. Everybody say, descend. Descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. If you want to know what the advent, the return of Jesus looks like, Paul tells us what our sign is, what we are to expect, what we are to see. Just as the shepherds knew what to look for, we too know what to look for. Jesus' return, as the scriptures teach us, will be glorious. They'll be public. It won't be hidden. It will be sudden. And it will be visible. That's what it means to watch for Advent. But the sign leads us to number two. The shepherds teach us Not only to watch for the Lord, but to pursue the Lord. 
Look at verses 15 and 16, and there's just a few words that I want to pull out for you to, to think about today. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, what? Let us, what? Let us go and see. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with what? They went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. For the shepherds, pursuing for Christmas meant pursuing the Lord. It meant, listen, we want to go see what the angel has told us about. So they literally went and saw. But then the scriptures say that they went with haste. The idea of going with haste is they went eagerly. This was not a stroll for them. This was not, hey, let's take our time. This was, we've just been told this news. We've got to get over there. We can't miss this. This is what it looked like for the shepherds to pursue with Christmas. What does it look like us to pursue for Advent? In the same way, we must pursue the Lord, but our pursuit is not just physical, it is now spiritual. Look at what Peter writes about in 2 Peter chapter 3. And I want you to hold on to a few words because I think it's interesting how he ties our pursuit of the Lord, our pursuit of holiness to the return of Jesus. He says, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for, and what? Isn't that interesting? The same word that Luke uses to describe the way the shepherds pursued Jesus. Peter says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, or the return of Jesus. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. I think it's so interesting how Peter ties together our pursuit of the Lord and the return of the Lord. As if to say those two things go together. Because I think our natural inclination is to think, listen, Jesus is going to come back when Jesus wants to come back. I don't have anything to do with his return. But Peter says otherwise. Peter says that our pursuit of the Lord is tied to the return of Jesus. That we should, be want, uh, we should be wanting to be found when Jesus returns, pursuing him. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that Jesus pursued us first. Jesus came to us and we were not looking for him. We were not seeking for him. We were not interested in finding him. But Jesus, who is God, came to earth and put on flesh 
and became human and lived a sinless life. And he went to the cross dying for our sins, humanity's sins. That our sins might be removed and the wrath of God against our sin might be removed. But Jesus didn't just stay dead. He rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. And what we're celebrating in Advent is not just his birth, but anticipating his what? Return. So part of the reason we pursue Jesus now is because of the gospel. Our pursuit begins when we turn away from the way we've been living. The way that's contrary to God, that's called repentance. Our pursuit begins when in faith we turn and trust in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Our pursuit begins when we confess our faith in baptism. Being buried with Jesus and being raised with Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to experience two baptisms today. That's when our pursuit begins. And listen, I don't know about you, but when I start to pursue something, I almost always pursue it with passion. Because I'm interested in it. I'm excited about it. It's got my attention. But what do you do when the passion begins to fade? How do you continue to pursue the Lord with the kind of haste that the shepherds pursued Jesus in? And that's where our passion has to turn to intentionality. We can't get lazy in our pursuit of Jesus. This is why seasons like Advent, seasons like Lent are so important because they narrow our focus. They cause us to look more deeply and closely at Jesus. This is why we talk so much about spiritual habits, things like Bible reading, things like prayer, community, fasting, these sorts of things, because what these habits do, they're a means to an end. They are the way in which we pursue the Lord to be close to Him. And here's what I want you to see. Here's the connection that I think pursuing the Lord has to Jesus' return. When we pursue the Lord, we extend the light of Christ by shining his light into our dark world. So you might think to yourself, well, what does my pursuit of the Lord have to do with the return of Jesus? It's just that. When you pursue the Lord, you are a light. Jesus himself said it in his Sermon on the Mount, right? A city on a hill, a light that cannot be covered. When you are pursuing Jesus, the Lord, what you are doing is you are extending that light into darkness. And what the scriptures say is that the light has come into the world and darkness cannot overcome it. So in order to extend the light, we must become light. And the only way to become light is to pursue the Lord. We watch for the Lord. We pursue the Lord. Number three, what can we learn from the shepherds? We wait for the Lord. One of the most interesting things about this passage is what happens at the very beginning of verse 20. So all of these miraculous things have happened. I don't know about you. Anybody else seen myriads upon myriads of angels? And when they 
come to you, they're singing glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom God is pleased. Anybody else ex- seen that or experienced that in this room? I, I didn't think so, right? Has anybody else come to the place where Jesus lays as an infant and seen God who has put on flesh in person, live? Right? Nativities don't count. No one else has seen that, right? The shepherds got to see that. And then what does Luke say? Verse 20, and the shepherds returned. Man, what a way to end a story. Right? The shepherds had just experienced all of this stuff about Jesus, and they had experienced this vision, this dream, this incredible picture from these angels, and they see it all, and they return to their work. For the shepherds, that's what it meant to wait for the Lord in waiting for Christmas. But in waiting for Advent, we too must wait for the Lord. Picking up where we just left off in 2 Peter, listen to what he says in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not what? Okay, we're going to say that with passion. The Lord is not what? There we go. He's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's what? Patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In my house, waiting in patience is not looked upon well. In fact, Gabe has heard me say this so many times. He calls himself Mr. Impatient. As like that's his nickname. Sometimes waiting feels like what? Slowness. But what Peter tells us is that waiting is not slowness. Waiting is what? Patience. In Advent, we wait, and we have to wait patiently. And many times while we're waiting, it might seem like absolutely nothing is happening. It might seem like God is not doing anything. It might seem as though there's nothing that we can do. But in waiting and in patience, things are happening. Anybody like to bake? Baking was one of those COVID habits for me. To be honest, I've gotten out of it. And to be honest, I made some things that weren't all that great for my type 1 diabetes. So I'm like, you know, I better, I better slow down on the baking. But one of the first things that I learned that I thought I could hurry up was the power of yeast. Anybody ever do that before? I was cooking like this cheesy garlic bread. It was like the very first thing. I mean, we were in the heat of the pandemic. I was writing sermons and working on kindergarten or first grade homework at the same time. And I'm like, I got to do something that stimulates my brain. 
So I took up baking and I grabbed this recipe off of line and I'm like, you know, I'm reading the instructions and do you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, yeast was almost impossible to find? I went to like four grocery stores looking for little packets of yeast and I got and I found it finally and I get home and I'm in a rush, right? Not patient. This is taking too long. And I read the recipe and it says, you got to let the yeast like rise for three hours and I'm like you know, I bet we could cut that in half. I bet we could cut that, that time in half. No big deal. So I let it sit for an hour and a half, and then I bake it, and I'm telling you, this bread was like a cracker. It barely had time to rise. And the thing that I learned about baking is that when I'm not doing anything, something is happening. When you're just sitting there and you're watching the dough, inside the dough, the yeast is doing something. There's a chemical reaction that you can't do anything about. There's a chemical reaction that you can't speed up. And in the same way, when we return to our lives, as the shepherds did, when we wait And while we look out and we might be like, God, you are moving at a snail's pace. This is slow. God is saying, just be patient. And at the same time, in baking, more often than not, one of the things that you have to get used to is as you're waiting on one thing, you're working on another thing. And I think that's one of the powers of waiting is that, yes, you're waiting for the Lord to do some things, but even as you're waiting on Him, God's saying, get busy doing some other things. God, where are you? And God's like, listen, this isn't slowness, this is patience. Be patient and wait. But hey, guess what? While you're waiting, you can pursue me. While you're waiting, you can do good. While you're waiting, you can love your neighbor. While you're waiting, you can pursue me. One of my favorite authors on Advent, she writes this in her book, Advent, which is a collection of sermons. She says, Advent contains within itself the crucial balance of the now and the not yet that our faith requires. The disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension. Dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that Advent tension, the church lives its life. I hate tension, I hate waiting. I hate living in this now and not yet, but in God's sovereign plan, that's the world we live in. This now, not yet, where we know that Jesus has come, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that God came to earth and put on flesh and lived a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross and rose from the grave. We celebrate that. That is the now. That's the world in which we're living in where we know sin is defeated. 
where we know that we can be in relationship with our Father in heaven, where we can be in right standing with God. But there is a not yet that all of us are waiting on, where we live with disappointment, where we live with pain and suffering, where we live in this world and we're like, man, God, what is happening? And that's the tension of the now and the not yet. But the incredible thing about waiting is we know this, that because we're waiting for Jesus to return, we can hope in that return because we know God was faithful to send him the first time. So even though we think it's slow and God's telling us to be patient, we can trust in God's grace in God's mercy, in his love, that if he sent Jesus before, he'll do it again. We can wait. So, we watch for the Lord. We pursue the Lord. We wait for the Lord. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, the shepherds teach us this, we glorify the Lord. Verse 20 Again, the shepherds returned. They went back to shepherding. They went back to their work. But in the process of doing that, what did they do? They glorified and praised God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds glorified the Lord at Christmas. And in the same way, we can glorify Him at Advent. We must, in fact, Glorify the Lord because there is only one proper response to the coming of the Lord. Worship. Again, the Apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm just reading the back end of this passage. The front end of the passage is all about Christmas. It's all about the incarnation. And Paul says this, because of what Jesus has done, therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should what? Bow, should worship in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue do what? Confess, worship that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We were created to do certain things. Things like eating. Sleeping, these are basic things that God says, listen, if you don't do these things, you what? Yeah, you die. And I think it's important for us to recognize and understand that I think that's how God has created us in worship. We have been created for worship because we were created for God. Every single one of us worships. Sometimes we just worship the wrong things. So every single one of us is inclined, just like we are inclined to eat and drink and sleep, we are inclined to worship. But you know as well as I do that we can eat and drink the wrong things. We can sleep the wrong amount of hours. And in the same way, we can worship the wrong things. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to what? Worship. We've been created to worship. It's why Paul says, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. St. Augustine in his confession says it like this. He says, to praise you is the desire of man, a little piece of your creation. You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. In this season of watching, in this season of pursuing, in this season of waiting, as followers of Jesus, knowing that Jesus has come and knowing that Jesus will return, we can glorify him. We can praise him. Because when he does return, the rest of our lives and the rest of our time will be marked by what? Praise, worship, adoration. One of my favorite parts of this story is in verse 10. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Let's say it together. Good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. That will be for how many people? All the people. How many of us want good news of great joy? I know I do. And it would be pretty awesome if we could have good news of great joy for all people. The incredible thing about the gospel is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is good news for all people. The gospel is good news for us. And in the season of Christmas, what we know and understand is that we can have great joy now. The message of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus tells us that we can have great joy now. But Advent tells us that even in the midst of disappointment and pain and suffering and hurt and questions, we can find great joy now. Because we know that we not only have it, but one day when Jesus returns and he comes back as a ruling, reigning, conquering king, all things will be made right. Your life and our world will be as it should be. And so in the face of all of that, even in the midst of what you and I are experiencing now, whether it is good or bad, we can find joy in Advent. We watch for the Lord. We pursue the Lord. We wait for the Lord. And we glorify the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you give us great joy that will be for all of us. 
in this season, God, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus and we anticipate his return, help us to watch for him. Help us to pursue him. Help us, help us to wait for him and help us to glorify him. Even when we don't want to do it. Be with us now, Father, as we respond to you. We love you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.